Pierre was very familiar with the room that his father was located in. It had columns, a magnificent arch. There was also an impressive bed for the Count, as well as a tall mahogany bed table. There were silk hangings, and there was a case filled with religious icons. Underneath the icons was an invalid's chair with his father propped up with pillows. Once one of the most powerful men in the country, he was now reduced to helplessness. This is both one of the first and last scenes that the Count is actually in. We've heard him described before, but now he's the guest of honor. Count Bezikov still had an air of his majestic form. He had gray hair filled with curls that reminded one of a lion's mane. He had deep, typically aristocratic wrinkles in what was still a handsome face. His stout arms were popping out of the quilt that covered him. Given the Count's description as a man about town and quite the womanizer with multiple reported illegitimate children, the Count is the type of person who likely did not want to be around for long while he was like this. He's likely aching for death within. But Tolstoy writes of him as quite the symbol for the frailty of life, that even the owner of millions of acres and tens of thousands of serfs can be rendered so meek by the passage of time. Surrounding the Count was long-haired Eastern Orthodox clergy officials from the Russian Orthodox Church. This branch of Christianity has a legacy from the Byzantine Empire, which some historians view of something of a continuation of the Roman Empire. Timothy Snyder of Yale is one of those historians. Eastern Christianity found its way through missionaries to Kiev in what is modern-day Ukraine, and it later reached Moscow. Like so many other sects of Christianity, patriarchs of Eastern Christianity in Russia will tell you that theirs is the true form. In the versions of Christianity that are both in Russia and still in Kiev, Ukraine, the priests can generally marry. So this Orthodox clergy surrounding Count Bezikov, they're holding candles, chanting, and performing a last rites ceremony. They even propped up a candle or taper in the Count's hand. There were also doctors, servants, and family, including Pierre, present with the Count. And the rites ceremony included reading scripture, singing, and praying. And there were quite a number of occasions for everyone present to cross themselves repeatedly. Anna Drubetskaya wanted Pierre to be part of this moment, so she walked across the room to make sure Pierre had a light of his own. But Pierre, the absent-minded soul that he is, whenever it came time to cross himself, he would do it with the hand that held the flame. Noticing this and laughing was one of the Count's nieces, Sophie, the youngest one. She held in her laughter as best she could by hiding her face. The lead doctor, who's French, Dr. Lorion, is described in the book as a being of a different faith, and this points to him being Catholic, or Western Christian. The difference between the faiths was specifically pointed out by Tolstoy, though Dr. Lorion is noted to have been respectful of the moment. The doctor was able to pick up a slight pulse from the Count, and they gave the Count something to drink. There's still a small spark of life in the Count, though it's fleeting and there's no quality whatsoever. Prince Vasily then got the attention of Katerina, the oldest of the Count's nieces, and they went to talk by themselves, and the implication is it was about depriving Pierre of what he was due from his father, which is the Count's entire estate. The chanting stopped, the rite was finished, 
and the count was noted to be completely lifeless. There is then a collective intention to move the count from his chair to his bed. He was still heavy, and it was quite an effort for the servants. Pierre got a glimpse of the count's once powerful shoulders and bare chest. Pierre becomes affected, haunted by seeing his once proud and strong father reduced to the brink of death. It is a very difficult moment for a son to see and help his father through. Pierre noticed that his father's handsome features were still not disfigured by the approach of death. The count was placed into bed, supported by blankets and pillows. The count's eyes focused on Pierre with this mysterious gaze. This look could have at once said everything or nothing. Anna, still guiding Pierre through the process, then signaled for Pierre to kiss the count's hand. Pierre got through that and then took the seat next to his father. He was the center of attention and felt very uncomfortable by that. And Anna and everyone else in the room realized that this was a last moment between father and son. With father looking at his beloved son, his face began to twitch. His mouth moved and was drawn to one side. He wanted to speak, but just a hoarse sound came out. He ultimately couldn't bring himself to say what he wanted. Anna interrupted and tried to interpret for the Count, asking him questions if he wanted this or that, pointing to things in the room. But the Count's eyes only showed impatience and frustration. He then took his eyes off his son and looked at a servant, who inferred that his master wanted to be turned on his side. Pierre assisted in this, touching his father for one of the final times. One of the Count's arms fell, and it crushed Pierre that his father could not bring it up under his own power. The Count seemed to recognize the sadness displayed by his son, and he could tell Pierre deeply cared for him. This caused the Count to muster something of a final smile. This minute but powerful smile touched Pierre at his core, and then the Count drifted into sleep.